You are tuning in to On The Money with Dynamic Funds, a podcast series that delivers access to some of the industry's most experienced active managers and thought leaders. We're sitting down to ask them the pertinent questions to find out their insights on the market environment and navigating the investment landscape. Welcome to another edition of On The Money. I'm your host, Mark Grizzly. You know, the topics of gold and inflation are so interlinked. Given the current environment, it's really no surprise that the conversation around gold as an investment and asset class is attracting the attention it is, especially during what seems likely to be an extended period of inflationary pressures. So today, we're here to talk about gold. Gold has been historically viewed as an inflation hedge, and inflation is the hot topic right now. It's a conversation impossible to avoid, whether it's headlines of incoming economic data or comments direct from CEOs and management teams, but it's also very front and center for investors as we see and feel real increases in daily life. Increased prices at the pumps, higher grocery prices, supply shortages, all tangible examples investors are feeling directly in the wallet right now. With all of this talk on inflation and gold's historical application as an age-old inflation protection strategy, I welcome our resident gold and precious metals portfolio manager, Rob Cohen, to the conversation. Rob, to get started, gold has been a bit perplexing this year, and it seems to be trading back and forth within a range and, and not making a you know definitive break in either direction. It's like this push-pull in the market. On one side, you've got the impact of faster tapering, and on the other, the safe haven sentiment at the idea of inflation running hot for longer. So what's your view of what's driving the gold price in 2021? I think what we see here is a bit, sometimes we see a delayed response with people's interpretation of economic data. And as they digest it, the gold will work. You know, in short term, we've seen it even recently tumble in response to the US 10-year tips yield. But if you look at the big picture, and as you mentioned, a lot of the points in your introduction, so I won't repeat them, but you have a situation where even especially since the pandemic unraveled, you've already seen a very large increase in US money supply. It's already grown 33% since the beginning of the pandemic. And right now, as we speak, we got this Omicron variant alive and well and people digesting what that all means. And that in itself may put the brakes on the Fed's tightening plans. So that, that's another thing to keep in mind. Bigger picture, medium, long term, we now have U.S. budget deficits running at greater than 13% of GDP. You've got the U.S. debt level bumping up against their debt ceiling limit of $28.5 trillion, which is 120% of GDP. And there's talk that within five years, this will exceed $40 trillion. So it's no surprise with all the printing of money that it trickles down into the devaluation of money. So it's really monetary policy that's driven inflation and just the devaluing of currencies, whether it be the US dollar or Canadian dollar. Yeah, and on that point, more recently, we saw the US Federal Reserve change their tune in a couple of areas. One is they seem to be dropping the word transitory when it comes to their description of inflation. And of course, Chairman Powell's recent comments on tapering faster. So what does the acknowledgement of more persistent inflation mean for gold? And has gold reacted as you would expect since? One of my favorite gold economists is Martin Murnbeeld, a capitalite research out of Victoria, BC. 
and his models, which he can kind of crank through a lot of economic data and just spit out the gold price where it should be. Uh, he's saying it's mildly undervalued at around $50 an ounce, which isn't a lot, but it, it is significant. And then his one-year forecast on gold is uh, now offhand. I think it's at least $100 or more an ounce higher. So I think we can work with that in the backdrop. But, you know, one thing that kind of really affects gold and gold stocks are the sentiment toward gold. And right now, I think, you know, investors are very much like passengers on a on a ship and they're maybe worried about something and then they all pile onto the port side of the boat and the boat rocks over to the left and then they all run to the starboard and then it rocks to the right i think that's what we're seeing is that this herd mentality and almost every week it's kind of jumping from one area to the next uh but i think over the long term i'm very comforted that you know gold's gonna perform just fine so as we move into next year then what are some of the trends you're watching especially those that you think would be the closest gauge for the performance of gold. One of the closest gauge is real interest rates. So you kind of got to look at inflation. It's running very high. I agree with you that whole transitory, whoever brought that into the language, I'm not sure what they were thinking. That's just something that we can just really easily ignore. We do have inflation, just lots of inflation coming. Even the headline numbers, they I find that they even play with the the numbers because they're using averages of which include backward data as well as forward data. So it brings the average down to like two, three percent. But the reality is, you know, we have the US running at five point four percent inflation. I lived in Latin America in the nineteen nineties, and this is really reminiscent of, you know, when I lived in Chile working in the minds there of what was going on with monetary policy in the country at that time. And we're seeing, you know, beginnings of that kind of reckless financial policy, double digit, triple digit increases in money supply down the pipe, perhaps, you know, government finance debt, what have you. I kind of don't have a lot of faith in keeping money in cash. You want to invest that money, whether it be in the stock market, real estate, gold, what have you, you want to be diversified. So I think that's kind of the big theme that I'm working with. Rob, there's been a lot of coverage on the massive amount of money supply. And you talked about it earlier, about what's been created since the onset of this global pandemic. And, and you highlight that the effects on global currencies might be a bit hidden given the broad extent of it. Can you dive a little bit more into that point? You know, I think one thing we see here is when the pandemic hit, a lot of people were saying to the government, do something about this. Their response were social handouts, if you want to call it that. And you're expanding the money supply. When you do that, it in turn causes inflation. So people are seeing, for example, hard assets going up. Real estate is one of the most clear examples of that. And then as real estate prices inflate, People go back to the government and say, hey, in, uh, the real estate prices are inflating, do something about it. And then you get into a vicious cycle of social handouts, so to speak, and then dilution of money supply, which causes more inflation. So I see ourselves going down the same track as many countries in the emerging markets have made in the past. I see it now happening here. 
Rob, a lot of discussion about supply chain related issues and the fact that supply shocks and shipping bottlenecks, that's what's really driving up prices. And that's kind of the root of a huge amount of the inflation we're seeing and that that will probably dissipate at some point in 2022 or at least improve. Does that change the view of what we're talking about here with respect to gold and just the overall inflationary pressures in the market? Yes, well, I think uh, supply chain disruptions are part of what's going on in inflation. I think there's a lot more going on with monetary policy, fiscal policy, than into pandemic restrictions that are all happening all at the same time. And, you know, in terms of monetary and fiscal policy, we can count on things being pretty bad. And with the pandemic, you know, don't forget two years ago, Everyone thought we would be through this within 12 to 18 months. Well, we're now getting on closer to two years and no end in sight. So that was underestimated. Uh, in terms of supply chain disruptions, I think we're also underestimating how long it's going to take to work through them. I think it, it, it looks to me a lot longer than what meets the eye. And the gold price itself, it's really only part of the picture for you as an investor and ultimately for the funds that you run where you're investing in gold. But it's the long-term value add that really comes from picking companies, exploring for and or producing gold and precious metals. What are some of the ways that your process is different from other gold funds that exist out there? Yeah, that's a really good question, Mark, because our investment philosophy doesn't rely on uh, just the mere fact that we're counting on gold price to go up. We are seeking out investments that a lot of people just wouldn't be able to do or find from sitting in their armchair at home, so to speak. I think investors have a capability of buying gold bullion, buying senior gold companies or royalty companies if they want exposure to the gold price. But if you put specialty fund managers in place here. And in our case, I have my associate that works with me, Navojka Vohoviak. She's a geologist. I studied mining and mineral process engineering. So technically, you're covering off the three main boxes on the technical side at looking at companies. And then we both have a financial background, so we're checking off that box as well. So we're doing fairly thorough scouring of the world of what are the most interesting investments to us. We will stratify across the market capitalization spectrum. So we'll have some big caps, mid caps, and a few small caps. And that will give investors a really diversified portfolio. One thing that we do differently than our competitors is that we have uh, a significant exposure to the Australian market. So while Toronto is the global capital of mining corporate finance, Australia is a secondary market that's not as big as Toronto, but it certainly is an important market. And I find a lot of the competitors tend to ignore opportunities in Australia. So when we're effectively in the business of scraping the creme de la creme of what we want to be invested in, we have more stocks to pick from and therefore have a, a very interesting portfolio, which is somewhere around 40% weighted into the Australian market. So that's one thing that makes us different. Another thing that we do with our due diligence is we will um, invest in advanced exploration companies, which we think are onto the world-class discoveries. 
And sometimes I liken it like this proverbial truffle dog, you know, those dogs that go out to look for truffles and then they start digging at something. We're pretty much the same way with that. So we will tag on to something that we recognize as a world-class discovery unfolding and we have no qualms about taking a big position. It's kind of like the go big or go home adage. And we will take significant positions in some of these companies. Kind of like Jack and the Beanstalk. We planted our magic beans and now we just have to watch the uh, beanstalk grow. That's interesting because those comments you know, highlight the fact that when you're looking at how you're building your portfolio, you're talking about both exploration and production. And so how do you arrive at the mix of exploration versus producers? And is there some range that guides your allocations or is that more a function of bottom-up opportunities? I would have to classify it as bottom-up opportunities overall. I think in the production companies, we're probably more particular of which production companies we want to own. With that said, we don't own very many because we only respect a small group of them a lot. Then we get into the development companies which in effect are probably the supermarket for the big companies. So when they want to go and add to their production, they're going to be looking for the world-class deposits. So it's just an extra thing to have in your back pocket. Uh, While some of these development companies can emerge into production companies and be really successful in their own right, it doesn't surprise us if somebody comes along and makes a bid for these companies. So that's just an extra thing to have in your back pocket. So I think that's why it's important to kind of put yourself in the position of not just an investor, but you know, if you were running a senior company, what would you want to acquire next? There's some areas of the market that investors have a temptation to try and actively trade. And you know, this conversation, I think I would say gold is definitely one that stands out and probably for a lot of our listeners. As a seasoned gold manager, portfolio manager, what advice would you give investors about their thoughts towards allocating to gold? Yeah, I've always been skeptical about timing markets. I think that it's a skill that maybe doesn't even exist. I I see always investors, uh, whether they're professional investors or, you know, moms and pops, they always feel the need to try to time the market. I think timing the market, if you get it right, it's more luck than uh, skill. That's just you know, there might be the odd person who's truly skilled at it. I think you need to sort of back up and look at the bigger picture. And you've always heard this, be diversified. And owning a component of one's portfolio into gold at all times is the equivalent to owning fire insurance or car insurance. Notwithstanding, gold is the most uncorrelated asset class with respect to other asset classes. And I chose my words very carefully there. I didn't say negatively correlated, I said uncorrelated. So there is a difference there uh, because you can have the broader markets performing well and gold performing well at the same time. You can have both performing poorly at the same time or you can have them doing something differently. So they are truly the most uncorrelated asset classes out there. So in terms of portfolio construction and diversification, it's a great asset class to have exposure to. Things can turn also very quickly. So if you're naked gold in your portfolio and then you're saying, well, I'm going to wait for gold price to do something or move up or the sector to become hot again, then I'll buy. 
usually by the time it's happened, it's almost too late. So it's always good to have some. And you know, if you own some and the market rallies, you have now the prerogative to rebalance your portfolio. And said differently, if the market performs poorly, you can again rebalance and take it up higher. Uh, if you're not in the sector at all, you don't have the ability to rebalance because you don't have any. Those are great points. I, I was listening to some commentary the other day, and I can't remember which, but it did talk about the importance too of still having a long-term view towards uh, an asset allocation in any respect, especially even with gold, that you can't have an inflation hedge week to week, right? So that long view is still incredibly important, correct? Yes, that's correct. I, I'm Again, I'm very comfortable owning gold. What I also like about gold is the gold price itself is, in a way, it's not part of the financial market. It is and it isn't. It's not part of the stock market per se. You know, we see anomalies right now in the stock market with companies like the Reddit users are following or what have you, where they're at ridiculous valuations. So I think it doesn't hurt to have a sector that to some degree, it's a little bit out of favor. It's not completely out of favor, but it's a little bit out of favor. Why not have that diversification? Well, great points, Rob. You know, and as we're seeing inflationary pressures that are, you know, multi-decade highs and investors starting to reconsider gold as an inflation hedge, this has been a very useful discussion with you today, and I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Thanks for having me, Mark. And thank you to all of our listeners for joining us in another edition of On The Money. And on behalf of all of us at Dynamic Funds, we wish you continued good health and safety. You've been listening to another edition of On The Money with Dynamic Funds. For more information on Dynamic and our complete fund lineup, contact your financial advisor or visit our website at dynamic.ca. This audio has been prepared by 1832 Asset Management LP and is provided for information purposes only. Views expressed regarding a particular investment, economy, industry, or market sector should not be considered an indication of trading intent of any of the mutual funds managed by 1832 Asset Management LP. These views are not to be relied upon as investment advice, nor should they be considered a recommendation to buy or sell. These views are subject to change at any time based upon markets and other conditions, and we disclaim any responsibility to update such views. To the extent this audio contains information or data obtained from third-party sources, it is believed to be accurate and reliable as of the date of publication. But 1832 Asset Management LP does not guarantee its accuracy or reliability. Nothing in this document is or should be relied upon as a promise or representation as to the future. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees and expenses all may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of return are the historical annual compound total returns including changes in unit values. And reinvestment of all distributions does not take into account sales, redemption or option changes or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. Mutual funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated.